Welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tubes Show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Thanks for listening and hanging out with me here today. This is a lived experience and one that I think is better shared. And what do I know? Well, in late 2018, I was diagnosed with oropharyngeal cancer and I went on to have a third of my tongue removed, both tonsils, the tumour, 30 lymph nodes and 30 chemoradiotherapy sessions. I also had a peg tube feed for 15 months and ate nothing orally in that time. So grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Welcome to episode 22 of the No Feeding Tubes show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm so pleased you could join me today because I want to talk about something that greatly affected me, uh, and I, I wasn't sure what it was that was making me so sad and so upset after and, uh, and during my head and neck cancer treatment. And I decided to entitle this episode <clears throat> Food Lonely and What It Means. Sometime into my um, healing process, I thought I'm grieving and I couldn't really put my finger on what I was grieving about. I mean, apart from the obvious I had bits of my tongue missing, my speech had changed, my teeth had moved, um, I was spit it, spitting up all sorts of things, foreign bodies that were coming out of my body, uh, notwithstanding the amount of time that it took to heal, or the time, amount of time it was taking to heal, the fact that my entire life had changed, had just been turned on its head. Despite all that... <laughs> I knew there was something in me that was just not right and I couldn't for the life of me work out what it was. And unless you've been through this particular cancer and the treatment, you cannot empathise really with what is going on with the person who's going through it. So today I want to talk about food loneliness, uh, barriers to sharing meals, missing out on sharing the positive interactions with food, and what that means psychologically. And I'm basing this very much on what's happened to me uh, and I'm sure many of you that listen now to this uh, No Feeding Tubes show can um, appreciate and perhaps some of the things that I'm going to talk about today will resonate with you. So if you haven't subscribed to my channel or you haven't signed up on my email list, please do because... I share a lot of things and resources that I create and ideas and I talk to people um, outside of the realms of YouTube and podcasts. So if you haven't done that and you're listening on podcasts, there'll be a link for you to download a free resource 
and it will be my social eating checklist and the same will apply to the YouTube channel. So do that if you haven't done that because that means you'll be in on the inner circle and I can talk to you quite freely with email um, and or through Instagram or however else you'd like to contact me. But the, um, the creamy stuff, the stuff that I like that floats to the top will be available through my email list. So food lonely and what it means. There's actually a word and it's, it's the whole purpose that drives me and it's called commensality. And it's the, the particular commensality that I talk about is domestic commensality. And that means that it just refers to sharing food and meals with family and friends. And there are different types of commensality. You might be sharing meals with uh, co-workers. You might be sharing meals in a hospital or medical scenario or in a military setup. Um, so there's all sorts of different ways of sharing meals. So I'm, I'm really just referring to uh, domestic commensality, which is just the, the, the simple, in inverted commas, process of sharing a meal with your family and your friends and the difficulties that are placed in front of you and others in sharing that meal, that simple process of sharing a meal and how much is taken away from us because we can't do that. We can't share the same food. You know, this this idea of going to someone's house and all sharing um you know, salads on the table, meat on a barbecue, roasts. I mean, that is just taken away from us. And it is so sad. And that's when I was grieving. I, I suddenly worked it out. I went, man, I've worked out why I'm so upset. And it's because I'm grieving the loss of that simple process of just sharing a meal with my family and my friends. Um, going out and sharing a meal with my family and my friends. And that was the reason for my grief and it was something that started to really, <coughs> pardon the pun, eat away at me, literally. And I thought, you know what, this is such a big psychological um, impact on us as patients that I, I, I wholeheartedly think that it needs to be addressed as part of the treatment. I think there needs to be psychological support for people to make them realise, recognise, understand and move through the grief stages that you're going to go through, like any grief over a loss of a loved one or a breakdown of a relationship. Um, you know, I'm just talking about food. I'm just talking about my personal relationship with food and what I was grieving uh, because food played such a large and important part of my life. I just couldn't get my head around what I was grieving. I, I could I knew it physically but I didn't initially click to the connection between oh, this all this other stuff that I'm missing as a result of me not sharing meals anymore with family and friends. Um you know, I I remember as a kid growing up and at school, I always had interest in biology, geography, geology, anthropology, uh, and this is a social 
anthropological kind of activity. And I, it also dawned on me that that was probably the reason I was so interested was that that sort of had this anthropological slant to it and that for years and years and generations and generations, this is what people do. They share food. They sit around a table and share food and talk about the activities of the day and just participate in that activity which bonds people which celebrates cultural activity, weddings, bar mitzvahs, uh, you know, funerals even. Uh, And, you know, this is taken away from us so we don't have that access to those positive food-sharing experiences anymore. And I think that is, is a really large part of the grief that we go through. And I think... Um, certainly in the Mind Food Body program, I talk about, you know, finding ways of filling up those buckets that are now empty in other ways, taking the focus away from a particular type of food if you can't eat it, replacing that with another type of food if you can eat it. And, you know, that's a big project. That's a big thing for people to have to do and have to work out on their own. You know, notwithstanding, you've got so much going on anyway. We now have to uh, work at replacing some of those foods that we can no longer share and eat with something else. And if you don't have the interest, the passion or the research capabilities to be able to do that, then, you know, you're going to get left behind. So I really do advocate that there needs to be some psychological support around helping head and neck cancer patients with their food from a commensality point of view because it is a really lonely existence. Um, And as I say, if you haven't been there and you haven't done this, then... You can empathise, but you can't really. You can you can appreciate someone's going through difficulty, but you can't really. Uh, you know, I'm always having this amusing, and it's becoming not so amusing anymore for me, but talking about how you breathe, eat, concentrate, talk at the same time, it's, it's almost impossible. Um, and for me at the moment, I'm trying to manage a saliva issue. This is a new one for me. But I'm producing all this saliva that I haven't produced for the last couple of years and I've got to find somewhere to put it because (laughs) unlike normal people, it doesn't just drain, disappear, go away. So I'm working on that. That's just from a personal point of view. Um, You know, it's just such a minefield of a process and I really think as a group of people collectively worldwide we almost need to stand up and say hey you know this is big for us and it removes us from general societal living because of all these side effects that we suffer as a consequence and you know hey I'm one of the lucky ones I can still swallow a little bit (laughs) I can still talk as you can probably guess but I still get fatigued and tired with that 
and uh, I'm very conscious of the way that I sound, as you may well be, and I'm conscious about the way that I consume beverages, mostly when I'm out, but, you know, it's all part and parcel of it. So that's what I mean with the psycho, you know, the psychological impacts of it too. It becomes a very private exercise, this eating and drinking. And unfortunately, it also removes us a little bit from general society. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. And I think this process and having someone to motivate and coach you, particularly if you're like me and you don't have a significant spouse um, to help you on a daily basis. You sometimes need a bit of, come on, you've got to get up and get dressed and get out there and get amongst it. And you have to get over the embarrassment. You have to get over all the little pitfalls that you have that are placed between you and eating out publicly and just get on and do it. Because if you don't, you get further and further and further removed from food and from society. And I don't think that's good. And I don't think that's a good thing mentally. Um, It becomes more than just mindful eating. You know, as, as we all know, when we go through this, it's more than just chewing and swallowing. It becomes a whole mindful process. And uh, I just think as a collective group of people, we uh, we need to have access to some help around that. And that's just what I'm trying to do is to help people, give them some tools. Uh, you know, I was blessed to be able to have a, a good education and a brilliant career. I still have a brilliant career and I've just decided to use some of the skills that I've uh, learnt in my career to help others um, stay connected to food in the best possible way that you now can with the physical attributes that you've got available to you and using the mental uh, attributes that I now have and have tuned my existing skill level to help other people. So it's going to be a short little episode today. I just wanted to talk to you about that because it's something that means a lot to me. And um, if it means something to you or some of this resonates with you, please leave me a comment um, because I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I hope I'm not alone in thinking these things. I'm pretty sure I'm not, but it would be great to hear from you nonetheless. So that's today's episode, Food Lonely and What It Means. And it has a word. It has a it has a word and that word is commensality. And that's what I'm all about. Commensality. Getting people back at the table. All right, everybody. Um, if you haven't subscribed or you haven't lined lined yourself up to be on my email list, please do. Go to EvonneMcLaren.com. That's McLaren with two C's. Uh, not as in the Formula One C, um, which I love, but I'm not going to get digress to that topic. Eat well, stay well, and um, I look forward to sharing some time with you in the next episode. Okay, take care everyone. Bye.